Sons of Saturday, Virginia Tech Hoops Pod. Ed, I think we might be bad. No, 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 no. Right? Are well, we bad? maybe. We might could be bad. Be bad. <laughs> I don't think bad. we're bad. I don't think we're bad. I'm not there yet. Okay. I don't think we're. I don't think we're bad either. But we're certainly not playing to our capability. So, let's talk about the last couple games just in passing because. I, you and I, before we hit record, you know, you mentioned that you want to just talk about overarching issues, which I think is how we need to attack this podcast. Virginia Tech beat Maryland 62 to 58 in College Park. You and I were both there. Uh, it was really ugly for most of the game. Then Virginia Tech caught fire offensively in the last 10 minutes. Put, I don't want to say put Maryland away because Maryland was still lurking, but Virginia Tech looked like the better team in the last 10 minutes of that game. So Maryland went, what was it, one of 14 from three, something absurdly bad. Uh, they, they had nothing really in the tank and Hunter Couture hit some big shots. Naheem Aline hit a huge three and, and tech pulled away. And then, you know, I, I talk about the issues that have plagued Virginia tech offensively all year long. You know, it's been either, you know, parts of halves or entire halves or, you know, even full games where they haven't really played to their capability offensively. And I think the the full game thing would qualify for, the ACC home opener against Wake Forest this past Saturday when Tech lost by 19. Wake Forest has improved. We knew that, but they are not 19 points better than Virginia Tech to go on the road and get a win like that. That was a bad loss for the Hokies. Yeah, that was not not fun to watch at all. From start to finish, I had a gross feeling about that game, and it proved out uh, tenfold. That was a really, really bad game for the Hokies. Uh, a lot of things that Wake did really well. Steve Forbes is a really good coach. They've reloaded through the portal and got a lot of guys in there who have played uh, Power 5 basketball and basketball at a high level. Um, but even still, that should not have played out the way it did in the home ACC opener with Brent Pry and the arena. Fans were into it. It was a packed house, and the Hokies just laid a dud. Uh, Aluma had 23. I don't think his box score necessarily is a good picture of how he played in the game. Um, the team just overall was terrible defensively. The defense was so disconnected. Um, they, they, I don't know. There's a lot you could say about that game. It was just so bad that it's almost even hard to nitpick where it was so bad. Um, Wake Forest shot an absurdly high percentage from the field. That, to me, was more 70% Virginia Tech's defense being atrocious right. and 30% Wake just hitting shots that they had no business hitting. Yeah. These were dunks and layups and floaters and very easy a high percentage shots that Wake Forest was getting almost at will against the Virginia Tech defense. So that was the worst I've seen the defense all year long. Um, it was a concern coming into the air, and it had actually up to this point been almost a strength for the Hokies. Uh, but that Wake Forest game was really bad, laid a big goose egg there. But, you know, it's kind of one of those games where, you know, we've, we've come accustomed to seeing Virginia Tech under Mike Young have won a year. Uh, even dating back to Buzz Williams, you know, one of those a year where it's just like the other team can't miss and the Hokies can't do anything right. Uh, so hopefully we got that out of the way and we can move forward into the end of non-conference into the beginning of conference play. But there are some overarching issues dating back even to Memphis. You know, once the Hokies turned the page and started playing big boy basketball, there have been some problems that have been front and center in all four games. I quite frankly think Virginia Tech's lucky to be one in three in those four games. Uh, as we've now learned since the Maryland game, Maryland's very bad and they don't have a coach anymore as a result of being very bad. And they also lost to Northwestern 
following the loss to Virginia Tech. So Maryland's not good. We got out of there with a win. It was a good win. I'm not going to take much away from it. Um, but the Hokies probably should have won that game in a more convincing fashion. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of thoughts, a lot of issues that we thought were going to be issues coming into the year that um, have definitely come to the surface as the competition has stiffened up. I think the elements of this team and, and the aspects of this team that we thought were going to be issues are manifesting themselves in a way that are I mean, the issues are more magnified than I think I thought mostly because the offense has been very good. So the, the defensive issues, I, I feel like every time I see Keve Aluma miss a shot inside, he's just looking for a foul and then complaining about the whole way back up the floor and then late getting back on defense. And I saw it like two or three different times against Wake Forest. I saw it against Maryland in person, you know, in Aluma's defense, like the, the officiating in the Maryland game, the second half was absurd. I mean, we went from, we went from the officials not calling any fouls basically in the first half of that game to calling, you know, every single foul they saw in the second half. Right. So I, I get it to an extent, but you know, you're a, you're a senior, right. You're a guy who, you know, the entire team is going to look for from a leadership standpoint and you're complaining about calls on the offensive end and he's letting it dictate the way he plays defense on the other end of the floor. And I'm not trying to just pick on Aluma. I mean, the entire defense has not been very good. The the issue I have too is like, say what you want about Wabisabidi. He guarded the perimeter and the Hokies are having issues on the perimeter right now. We thought that Storm Murphy might be a liability a bit defensively because of his size, right? And um, that has certainly been a problem. And Storm Murphy offensively, we'll get into in a couple of minutes, has been a problem. So he's been a net negative at one position. Aluma it just hasn't been as good as his stats. Nahima Lean's been up and down on both ends. Hunter Contour has been the team's most uh, most consistent player, I think, on, on both ends of the floor. He's only one guy. So I, I don't know where to start, but I, I guess we can talk about defense first. I mean, what do you think are the, are the biggest issues here, Ed? Our center is really soft. Um, Kevin there it is. Is, is pretty soft. Was, you said in fewer, fewer words, like, you know, that was a lot more concise there, just straight to the uh, point. I mean, he got absolutely bullied by Wahab up in college park. That was the best game Wahab has ever played. I mean, I'd have to go back and look at his Georgetown career, but I can't imagine he's ever had a more efficient game like that. I told you, man, like Virginia tech told you I was concerned and, about that. I've watched every Maryland game this year and he has not been that player, but Virginia tech and Kevin Aluma roll into town and he just decided to be Shaquille O'Neal. Right. Like, and yeah, the, the constant throwing your palms up in the air, like what's going on, where's my call stuff on the offensive end. It's, it's the same thing on the defensive end. It's just getting bullied. Um, and same thing happened with, with Walton for, Wake Forest, seven of 10 from the field for Walton down low. Most of those shots, like he made one three, but everything else was in the paint for Walton and Wake Forest. So other teams, bigs are just having a field day inside so far. Um, you know, the one exception to that would be, I guess, Jalen Duran didn't really do much for Memphis, but Wahab and Walton, these last two games for the opposing teams have just bullied the Hokies on the interior. Um, I just need a little more toughness out of Kevin Aluma on both ends. Cause you're right. It goes hand in hand with the constantly looking for a foul call every time yeah. he gets the ball in the paint. 
And it's just, you're not going to get that. And you're not going to get that in the NBA if that's your aspiration. So um, it's been really frustrating to watch. And he's still, you know, coming out of every game with good numbers. So it's really easy to gloss over, but he seems disconnected on defense, getting backdoor cut, wrong place. Uh, the Maryland game was particularly frustrating. It looked like he was running circles in the paint, trying to figure out where he should be and who he should be guarding. The rotations were just not there. And it's just been really infuriating to watch. Um, I mean, maybe I'm overreacting. I don't know. But, you know, Wahab is not that player that he was. <laughs> and Virginia Tech adjusted in the second half and, you know, kind of put an end to that. But in the first half, he was just catching the ball on the block, three hard dribbles in the ground, turning and shooting right over Kevin Alumo with almost no resistance. Yeah. And it was it was incredibly frustrating. Um, so, yeah, I, I need more out of Kevin Alumo on defense. Um I'm not going to argue about his offense because he's still putting the ball in the basket, but defensively and on the glass, even um, just some more physicality, man. Some more, you know, <laughs> Justin Fuente grit. You know, we need something. Yeah. Out of Luma. yeah. We don't need Fuente's grit. We need something else. Uh, what's, what's going on with Ojiako? Are we just not going to play him anymore? Is that, are we just going to not, yeah. not play him? Is that the deal? Honestly, I'd rather see him on the floor than David Gasson. David Gasson to me has been, pretty disappointing yeah um but yeah i I guess i guess we're just gonna play six guys for the rest of the year um you know it it the front court rotation we're not in a great spot there right now i I think john ojago can can give you more than he's giving us um i get that it's really hard to take mutz and aluma off the floor in these close games but at some point you know kevin aluma's lack of want or ability to be physical is very harmful. And at one point in the Maryland game, Aluma and Ojiaka were on the floor together, which I thought was a really cool little wrinkle that they threw in against a really big Maryland team. Yeah. I'd love to see some more of that. Um, slide Mutz out to the three, see what it looks like. He can shoot. It's not, I mean, yeah. Justin Mutz has proven this year he can shoot three. Um, he's had some questionable questionable ability to put the ball on the floor and get to the basket from out on the perimeter. But, you know, I love to see a bigger lineup against a team like Wake Forest where Walton was ginormous. Um, you know, they've, they've got some big players for Wake Forest and there's going to be big players for the rest of the year. You know, St. Bonaventure's got dudes. Duke obviously has dudes. UNC's got Armando Baycott. They've got some big guys. So we're going to need John Ojiaco to be serviceable, um, at least on one end of the floor. I'm not expecting him to, you know, turn into Kevin Luma on offense, but if he can provide some of that physicality and defensive ability that has been lacking on the interior so far, um, I'd love to see him get more minutes. I think Oshiako and Maddox need more minutes. Well, Maddox flat out, we can get to him now if you want. Yeah. Yeah. He needs to play a lot. I mean, I'd, I'd be fine with either, you know, playing him about 20 minutes a night or just sticking him in the starting lineup and then throwing, somebody else in there. I mean, there has to be a different, there has to be a different wrinkle, right? If you want to keep bringing him off the bench, that's fine, but he flat out needs to play more. He's the only guy offensively right now is playing with any sort of confidence outside of Hunter Couture. Like, and Mutz has been fine too, but like from a, from a backcourt perspective, right? One through three. I mean, it's, it seems like Max is the only guy who's coming in providing you consistent offense off the bench. So why are we only playing him 12 minutes against Wake Forest? You know, that's my yeah. question. Naheem Aline's one of seven from the floor, and we're leaving him in there. Storm Murphy flat out just doesn't want to shoot. And and that's that's a whole other thing. But, like, Matt, what, 
let's let's confine it to just Darius Maddox right now. Max needs to play more. And then circling back to your to your point about Ojiako, you want to get tougher defensively, put Ojiako in the game, please. Because he's going to give you more defensively than, than Aluma, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, Ojiako does have a tendency to get lost. And, you know, that that's to be expected for a guy who hasn't played a lot of basketball. But, you know, let him go in and hard foul somebody. I mean, at yeah. least have some sense of physicality on the interior. I, it just can't be Charmin Shoft the soft the entire year right. all the way through ACC play. That's that's what I'm saying. Happen. That's what I'm saying. I, and I don't I'm not saying start Ojiako over Aluma. I'm not brain dead. I'm just saying like right. play play him more than the last three minutes of the Wake Forest game, right? <laughs> like like get him get him on the floor and have him give you some toughness off the bench. And I, I'm not saying play Ojiako 30 minutes a night, but you got to have some toughness on the interior and Mutz is a tough player, right? He's proven that, but if Mutz is out of the game and we're going with a smaller lineup, I, I think it, at some point you, you got to make a decision in the front court and decide if you want Aluma in there by himself when he's given up easy baskets defensively, right? Or if you want to bring in a guy like John Ojiako and the lineups that we've seen a lot is David Gusan is in, you know, when Mutz is out and we're seeing David Gusan on the floor with Aluma which is fine, but I think that lineup has a tendency to give up easy baskets in the post. Oh, yeah. I mean, because Mutz is, you know, as much as Storm Murphy has his limitation size-wise, Mutz kind of does too, depending on the team you're playing against. Uh, he's not the tallest four you're going to see in right. ACC basketball. So, you know, there's size limitations there as well. Um, definitely not, you know, motor and want limitations you know nobody wants it more than justin mutz and you know his stats bear that out he's having a pretty good statistical year but sometimes there are you know height limitations there but yeah back to maddox uh please play him and please yeah. play him a lot now like what are we doing he's playing 15 minutes a game he's shooting 60 percent from the floor and 60 percent from three and he has the ability to blow by his defender and get to the basket which nobody else has shown the ability to do so so far right um, that is the element that we were concerned about preseason when we, you know, didn't have Tyrese Radford, who's that guy who can be not just a three-point shooter. Um, it was Tyrese Radford last year, and I think it's going to have to be Darius Maddox this year because Naheem Aline gets in the paint, but he can't finish. Right. And, you know, maybe he'll figure that out. I know that was a problem early for, you know, other hokey players in the past early in their career. They had a hard time finishing around the rim, but not that early in his career anymore and he's just not finishing around the rim he's not i don't know but darius Maddox can and he did it against maryland on an awesome move blew by his defender went up took a took some contact finished and he's just straight up shooting the ball so well right now like yeah it's hard to keep him off the floor in my opinion but it, in an ideal world you could play him at the point guard i don't know if you can do that or not um i do think you know we'll talk about storm in a second we'll probably go to him next but yeah there's got to be a way to get Darius on the floor more. He's just playing way too well right now to not be on the floor. I know Mike Young trusts Naheem Aline, but he's kind of reverted back to just not shooting well. Um, the Maryland game, I know he hit, he hit that huge three, right? So I want to discount that. But he did not shoot the ball well against Maryland. Didn't shoot the ball well against Wake. Finished one of seven, one of five from three. Like, that's not, that's not going to get it done. But in some ways, you have to have Aline out there because he's the only guy in that starting five that's going to cut to the basket, right? He's, he's it. He's going to put it on the floor from the perimeter and take to the hoop. We, we don't have a guy right now who's consistently doing that in the starting five. You know, we, 
like you mentioned earlier, we've seen Mutz do it, but it's questionable, you know, when he's out on the wing and he's trying and to take Couture can do it a little bit, but right. not enough. He's more of a, I don't want to confine Hunter Couture to a spot-up three-point shooter because I've watched Will Johnston play at Virginia Tech, so I don't want, I don't want to uh, say that he's a spot-up three-point shooter like Will Johnston was. It's, it's just offensive to Hunter Couture for how good he's been. But, I mean, Aline is really the only guy consistently, you know, who's putting the ball on the floor and trying to get to the hoop. Darius Max is the other guy coming off the bench, and I think that you have to have some element of that in your starting lineup consistently, and we just have not, have not, have not seen that. You know, we just haven't had the production there. Yeah, it, it, it's a definitely a lacking element, and, you know, Aline can do it and has shown a willingness to do it and get to the basket and then try to absorb contact and finish, but he, oftentimes he also just pulls up for these little mid-range jump shots that drive me insane. I know he's good at it and can make that shot, but drives me insane yeah but yeah I would love, Darius Maddox needs to play more I think everybody knows that I think Mike Young recognizes that too um and I think the most logical way to do that and get him more minutes would be if Storm really just can't figure this thing out play him at the point you know a mixture of Couture and Maddox bringing the ball up could be something that is palatable for Mike Young and his staff right. but I think Mike Young has way too much not way too much in like a bad way I think he has too much confidence and respect for Storm Murphy and the basketball player that he is, rightfully so, in my opinion. I think Storm will figure it out. Um, it's just taking a little while, and that's okay. It's only four real games we've played so far. So uh, it's understandable that the speed and pace might be a little quick right now for him, but I think he will figure it out. So, yeah, Maddox needs to play more. Um, Ojiaka needs to play more. I'm okay with the roles that Padula and Gasan have. I think they're doing, you know, very small roles, and that's very much okay. Um, but yeah, I, I would love to see more Ojiako and Maddox. I mean, uh, before it was Storm Murphy needs to make open threes. That's still the case, right? But now he needs to just shoot open shots. Um, you brought up a great point when we were texting back and forth today, um, talking about kind of topics to touch on on this podcast. You mentioned that Storm Murphy's afraid to get his three point shot blocked. I think you're right on the money with that. It's any shot. I don't think it's just a three. I mean, there's even times where he's got, you know, a step on his defender and could probably get a layup off and he's still afraid to get blocked then too. And I mean, there's been a couple of times this year where um, we've seen that, you know, him get in the lane and get blocked. I've seen him get blocked on a three where the guy just closed out quicker than Storm was used to and blocked his shot. And I think it was kind of a, like a, oh, hello moment for Storm right. Murphy there. Uh, and at this point now, I think he's just flat out seeing ghosts. There was a couple of shots against Maryland. He just completely passed up for no apparent reason at all. He could have easily gotten his shot away. Um, and we've seen him take non-open shots and pass them up and then have to take, you know, step back fadeaway shots with the clock winding down. Um, and he's made a few of those, but yeah, we need more offensively out of storm. Um, at the very least, you know, when you're open on the perimeter, take the shot, you know, yeah, you're, shoot. Good, you're too good of a player to not do that. Um, I thought the last six, seven minutes of the Maryland game was the best we've seen him play. And really the best we've seen this Agreed. offense play since you know, before the Memphis game. Yeah, what, uh, maybe? He, he was money. <laughs> yeah, he had no interest in shooting in those last seven minutes, but he was slinging that thing around the right places. Uh, his pass on the Naheem Aline three that really yeah. opened it up was fantastic. So um, even if he just becomes that player, just the facilitator, Storm Murphy, um, he's not Justin Robinson. He's not going to put up eight assists a night, but, you know, make your open shots, make your free throws, and 
don't turn the ball over. And I think that's all he really needs to do in this offense. Uh, he doesn't need to be, you know, the 17 point per game guy. He was at Wofford, you know, let's just get up into that eight range and we'll feel really good about ourselves. Yeah, I agree. I think the whole offense will be a lot more productive if he just kind of focuses on taking baby steps, especially uh, because like you mentioned, yeah, the last eight or nine minutes of that Maryland game, the offense was functioning at a very, very efficient clip. You know, Aline's hitting threes, Couture's hitting threes, a lot of hockey assists for, for Storm Murphy, where he's passing it to one guy, kicking it to the other for the actual assist, right? So, I mean, it it was a really efficient performance by Murphy on the offense spend the last, you know, eight minutes of that Maryland game, but he wasn't taking shots. And that's fine if the offense is still producing, you know, I'm not worried about storm Murphy only putting up, you know, five or six points per game. If the offense as a whole is playing well, but when the offense is not playing well, you're getting the doors blown off you by wake forest and you're passing up open shots. Then it becomes more of a problem. Uh, I, I still think that the offense is in a better spot with storm Murphy than it was with Wabisabidi a year ago, because I think that uh, the ability to produce for, you know, his teammates is, is you know, something that Storm Murphy is better at than Wabisabidi. But when he's not giving you that element, like we saw at the end of the Maryland game, and when he's not shooting the basketball and he's getting beat on defense, he's kind of a liability out there, which is a problem. And something that I, I don't think a lot of the fans saw coming necessarily. Again, still early, but, you know, there are more data points here suggesting that game is a little bit fast for him and he's got to make some adjustments and, He's got to get his confidence back because, you know, when, when I see him passing up open threes where there's nobody near him, that, 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 that to me is a question of, you know, how confident are you in your game right now? And the Hokies need a confident Storm Murphy at point guard. They really do because there's not much behind him. Yep. He's definitely seeing ghosts and I think he'll get there. I think this week could provide that, you know, soft landing spot in the schedule for maybe him to figure it out against Cornell and Dayton. Um, not slouch teams by any means, but not Maryland, Memphis, Xavier, et cetera. So um, I, I think, yeah, the Hokies need him desperately to be, if nothing else, a facilitator who's going to be at least a threat on offense. Um, I actually haven't been super frustrated with his defense. I know that was a concern that a lot of fans had. I think it's been okay. I don't think it's been like a total liability. Um, but yeah, his offense has been really frustrating. I just wish he would play with some confidence and let yeah. it fly because he can fill it up in a hurry when he's on. So I think we'll see more out of him as we progress into ACC play. I think he'll he'll get to where he needs to be and he'll be a worthwhile player on the floor more so than he has been so far. Yeah, I'm not going to sound the panic alarm on Storm Murphy yet. I, I will say there are a list of, items defensively that I'm concerned about and, and Murphy is not quite at the top of the list. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. A lot more concerns about the the front court and you know the way tech is tech is defending and rotating especially. Um, th those have been much bigger issues than Storm Murphy himself. How big is this non-conference stretch coming up here for Virginia Tech? I mean I again don't want to panic, don't want to sound the alarm, but Tech's now lost by 19 at home to a Wake Forest team that probably is not slated to make the tournament this year, although they are off to an eight and one start. They've beaten Oregon state. They've now beaten what we assumed was a good Virginia tech team um, on the road. So wake's got some nice early season wins, but I, I think everybody saw wake Forest as a team that was going to take a step forward, but not necessarily 
be eight and one with those types of wins early in the year. So, I mean, how do we assess things now? I mean, Memphis has slid and that was a tough loss for the Hokies. Uh, obviously the Xavier game, you know, Xavier without multiple starters and you let Nate Johnson go for whatever was 30 points. Uh, how, how do we assess things right now through nine games? So without Memphis panicking, was, of course, yeah, without I'm, not, panicking. I'm not super panicked. I mean, I was definitely very frustrated and saying some things in the text stream during the Wake Forest game that were uh, over the line and a little bit outlandish, but for example, just, we're, we're bad. Dude. We're, we're bad. Yeah. I don't think we're bad. Um, I do think we should pump the brakes a little bit on some of those preseason expectations that we may have set for ourselves, but I think you're seeing that across the ACC in general. Yeah. Um, Florida, Florida state's vulnerable. Virginia just lost to James Madison tonight. Um, so there's some vulnerable teams at the top of the ACC. Uh, Duke's pretty good. Carolina's pretty good. But outside of that, there's definitely some vulnerable, vulnerable teams in the ACC. So I think, you know, it's okay to temper expectations and still think this team can, you know, reach that goal of making a tournament and making a little run if, you know, things go the right way. But I'm just going to break it down one by one. So Memphis, we knew that was going to be a really hard game. That's the most talented team that will play probably all year, maybe Duke right there right. with them. I agree. Um, Not well Monty coached, Bates, but very talented. Yeah. Terribly coached, although yeah. they have Larry Brown on their bench, in case you didn't know that. Um, <laughs> ESPN uh, might have mentioned that a time or two. Oh, my gosh. That was the worst broadcast I've ever seen. But so Memphis, good game. Didn't really expect to win. Had a chance to win. That's all you can really ask in that situation, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Now, two days later, Xavier, that was a game that, one, I didn't think we'd be playing. I thought if we lost Memphis, we'd be playing Iowa State. Turns out they're very good. Um, so we ended up playing Xavier, who was a very good team, very well coached, deep. A lot of guys can play for that team. Right. And we saw that they were missing four guys against us and still had a night. Um, Hokies could have won that game, probably should have won that game, uh, for a variety of reasons. They didn't, you know, losing by one on a last second shot after giving up 30 to one dude, um, you know, can't complain too much about that one. And then you get into Maryland. Um, it was not as crowded as I thought it would be at Xfinity, but it was still a really good environment for a basketball game. Len Bias night, gold rush, all the students were there. It was loud. Um, Yeah, it was definitely a good environment, a good road test for this team. And they played good from start to finish, you know, won the first half by two, won the second half, I guess also by two, because they won the game by four and that, you know, weathered a storm there. Cause at one point they were down seven, I believe. Yeah. Uh, Maryland, Maryland went on a nice little run and got the crowd into it. And Virginia Tech did a really good job of settling things in and playing their brand of basketball and finishing that game out and getting out of college park with a good road win. Um, how good Maryland will be for the rest of the year after firing Mark Turgeon, who knows. Um, but those guys present a lot of problems for Virginia Tech and that they're long and athletic. A lot of them were pretty highly recruited. So all in all, I'll take that win. This Wake Forest game is really hard to get any good information out of for a variety of reasons. Um, one, we don't know what Wake is. They have four or five new players they didn't have last year. Correct. Um, they're pretty good so far this year, and they haven't really played a whole lot of super high-level competition, but I think you could easily see a world where they finish eight seventh in the ACC I mean they're yeah. gonna finish well above where they were supposed to right and when you factor in Virginia being down Florida State being a little bit down Syracuse is giving up like a thousand points a night in that zone right now 
So some of those, you know, middle to upper teams in the ACC are struggling. I think Wake will benefit from that. And I think they could have a chance at the tournament this year. Yeah. Um, but anytime you give up 65% or whatever the number was shooting and you play as bad as we did in that game, I mean, Virginia Tech played bad on both ends of the floor. So it's really hard to get any like, you know, valid data points from that one. So all in all, I mean, Memphis should have lost, did. Xavier, toss-up game, lost by one. Maryland won on the road. And then you caught a team that was really hot and you played really bad. And the results were what they were against Wake Forest. I don't really know where we stand right now. Yeah. I think Wake Forest, you know, in year two of Steve Forbes, might be getting that bump that Virginia Tech got in 2020 where nobody was really expecting him to do much. You know what I mean? And in year two, all of a sudden – Mike Young had Virginia Tech in the tournament, and in year two, at least in the early going, Steve Forbes has that Wake Forest team playing much better than anticipated, so maybe a little bit of a year two bump there. I'm largely with you. Like, I, you know, it's it's hard to to gather much from wins against Maine, maybe Radford, St. Francis, and Merrimack, right? You learn a bit more when you get a win on the road in against Maryland in College Park you see the flaws of your team from an athletic standpoint, when you play a team like Memphis horribly coached, but really athletic, you see the limitations that Virginia tech has Xavier game. I I thought was probably Virginia tech's worst loss. When you consider the the caliber of opponent and what they were missing, I I take that one more on the chin than Wake Forest at full strength. You know, that's, I guess at home, I guess a 19 point loss at home. It's an ACC game. I, I get that it's, that's more important. Than, than losing to Xavier neutral site, but considering what Xavier was missing, a lot of guys out of lineup sick and if you let one guy pop for 30. I mean, that's just not, not great Ed. you know, not great. And the weight game, like you said earlier, I mean, maybe we just chalk it up to, you know, a rough shooting night for tech and, you know, let that linger on the defensive end, which, you know, we've seen a bit in spurts this year where Virginia tech lets their poor shooting on one end influence their defense on the other Maybe we chalk that up to just a bad game on Saturday against Wake Forest. But look, I mean, Tech plays Cornell Wednesday night at Castle. And look, Cornell is pretty well coached. And this is a game Tech should win. This is a game Tech needs to win. Because then you got Dayton. Dayton beat Kansas. (laughs) Like, this is, it's not, you're not dealing with any slouches here, Ed in uh, in non-conference play Cornell Dayton and then a neutral site game a week before Christmas against St. Bonaventure before you immediately start your ACC schedule a couple days before Christmas with Duke on the road and then at UNC a few days after Christmas so this is a big time five game stretch here and I think Virginia Tech needs to try to win obviously try to win all three of the non-conference games but there are no gimmies either Cornell tomorrow night might be the closest thing to a gimme and that's going to be a difficult test for tech. I think. Yeah. I would not count that game as a gimme. They play the exact opposite style of basketball to Virginia yep. tech. They play fast. Oh yeah. They're averaging 91 points a game. They play really fast. Yep. Uh, their one loss on their schedule was to Penn state and a game they lost by 11 uh, Virginia tech right now is 18 point favorites in the game on Wednesday night. Um, yeah, if I could bet on Virginia teams, I'd probably bet on Cornell to cover. Um, they score a lot. Virginia Tech's going to want to really slow it down, play through Kevin Lima and Justin Mutz. So um, 
stylistically, it's going to be a challenge, but I, I do think Virginia Tech gets out of there with a win against Cornell. And, and you're right. We then go to play at Dayton. Um, Mike Young made this schedule so hard, man. Dayton is historically a really good program. Uh, like Grayson said on their podcast, you know, they don't have Obi Toppin, but they're still, still a really good program. They've been playing better basketball of late. And then St. Bonaventure down in Charlotte, I'll be at that game. I think Pat will be at that game. Um, that to me was going to be one of the harder games of the year. Um, St. Bonaventure, there's a question mark as to whether Kyle Lofton will play in that game. Probably their best player, their best guard. Um, they're a very, very good team. Um, they've already been ranked at one point this year. They beat Clemson in a game that they came from way behind in. Uh, so they're a very good team. Without Kyle Lofton, um, if he doesn't play, which, you know, that'll be right on the edge of if he can come back or not for that Virginia Tech game in Charlotte. So if he can't play, Virginia Tech's got to get out of there with a win. Yeah, um, sure. It's really hard to sit here and not think that we have to go 3-0 and heading into ACC play. Um, I hate saying stuff like that, though, because it's just like, I don't know. It, it's just hard to say things like that, right? We have yeah. to win three games in the you know early part of December. Uh, that'll dictate the rest of our year, but they're three really big games. Um, you win all three of these, then you go into Duke and North Carolina. You feel a lot better at it your, about yourself, unless you if you drop one of these and then you head into Duke and Carolina, it makes life really difficult down the road. It does. I mean, you already you already lost a game in in ACC play where you're like looking at the schedule right through through December, and you're like, man, if there's one ACC game we can get, it's the first one. Because those those road trips to Duke and UNC, not that Tech can't win there, but it's tough to go on the road to Cameron Indoor uh, or, or go down to Carolina and Chapel Hill. I mean, those, those are two tough road tests. And I mean, this is this is a really important stretch for Virginia Tech. And picking up a few, uh, a couple at least, or, or maybe even all three of these non-conference games allows you to maybe have another slip up or two in conference play and be able to combat it, you know, come tournament time. Uh, I, I, again, don't want to panic, don't want to sound the alarms, but Virginia Tech could use a good win. Like, we're still we're still kind of looking for it. Maryland's a bad team. Memphis, I, I think, will end up being – I mean, I think they'll be ranked by the end of the year. It's just, you know, I know they've been struggling lately, but they're too talented, and the conference they play in, I mean, they'll be, they'll be fine. I think Xavier's a good team. Nobody's going to say that that's, like, a bad loss other than me, who's just mad because Xavier's entire starting lineup was out. And, and Wake's playing better than, than expected. So where's Virginia Tech's best win right now, right? And if, and if you're struggling to find it, that means you still got to go get it, you know? You know, beating Navy on the road, good win. Beating Maryland on the road, again, good win, but Maryland's not that good. Like, we need a good resume-building win. I think beating Cornell in Blacksburg, beating Dayton on the road, beating a St. Bonaventure team that's pretty solid, neutral site, even without Kyle Lofton. I mean, Tech really needs to have that. I think that would go a long way going to an ACC play. Yep, I completely agree. Um, it's amazing, though. You know, if that floater in the middle of the lane drops for Virginia Tech and you beat Xavier, we feel so much better about ourselves. But that one-point loss really makes life difficult. Um, and, you know, maybe it doesn't actually make life difficult for the guys, you know, in Honhurst, but it makes it feel a lot more difficult for the guys like us and the fans, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, I do think they, you know, need all three of these. St. Bonaventure, obviously the best team of them. Uh, Mark Schmidt's a really good coach. 
Um, we need Danny Manning to get Maryland righted so that they can play really well for the rest of the year. Yeah. And that win looks better than it is. Yeah, good luck with um, that. Yeah, really good luck with that. So, yeah, I think, you know, for me, my three keys moving forward into this Cornell, Dayton, St. Bonaventure stretch, and I'm sure we'll record again before St. Bonaventure, but my keys are continuity on defense and connectedness on defense, especially for uh, Kev Luma and Justin Mutz. Getting Storm Murphy going in some form or fashion, that doesn't necessarily mean getting him scoring, right? at least getting him facilitating. And my last one will be some either consistency out of Naheem Aline or more consistent minutes out of Darius Maddox. Uh, those are my three things moving forward that I think this team really needs in order to get to that level. We all think they can and should be playing it. I agree with all three of those and just Kevin Aluma, please for a love of everything, just play a little bit tougher defensively for me. I'll be less and mad. Stop throwing your hands up in the air as you come back on defense. It's so frustrating. I hate yeah. watching that. I now know why, like, my coaches used to get so mad at me doing that. Growing yeah. Up. Like, yeah. oh, it's so awful to watch. I totally get it. Yeah. I'll be, uh, I'll be less mad the next time we record if he plays a little bit tougher against Cornell and Dayton. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Tech six and three, a couple big non-conference tests await. Cornell, Wednesday night, Castle Coliseum, 9 o'clock. Make sure to tune in for that one. And then on the road at Dayton this weekend, a big test. That is what, Sunday, I believe? Sunday at 2 o'clock. o'clock. Yep. So, yeah, big, big big next few days, two pretty important matchups for Virginia Tech. Ed will reconvene next week. We'll make sure to get a recording in before the St. Bonaventure game, and hopefully we're looking at Nate and three squad. Yeah, yeah, eight and three this week, nine and three going into ACC play, and I'll feel really, really good about the Virginia Tech basketball program, that's for sure. Yep, I'm with you. We'll talk next week.